You finally decided to learn how to ice skate, so you ordered the essentials every aspiring ice skater needs. A nice pair of blades, a shiny new helmet, and a good set of knee pads. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which you put those rewards towards an essential piece of post-skating recovery, a heating pad. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, back in Los Angeles from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I just got done viewing a very emotional NBA award show last night. Giannis Atenacumpo has his crowning achievement. He's surrounded by his brothers uh, and his mother. He gave a brilliant speech. I thought it was shades of Kevin Durant's acceptance speech, shouting out his mother, talking about the influence of his uh, you know, deceased father had on him. I couldn't help but notice, though, Andrew, in the whirlwind of emotions as he thanked everybody from his family to the uh, the Bucks coaching staff to the Bucks executives for believing in him as an 18-year-old teenager from Greece uh, mm-hmm. to his teammates. He forgot to name check Giannis Inc. And I'm just wondering, do you think <laughs> he's just haunted by it? Like, obviously, I'll give him a pass because you know in a moment like that, you're, you're obviously going to forget somebody, but... It seemed like Giannis Inc. might have slipped his mind, Andrew. I don't know. How do we explain this? No, you know, I was watching the speech and had that same thought. And then I realized what Giannis is probably thinking there is, you know what? I'm going to wait to thank my ultimate patrons until I win a title. That will be my true crowning achievement in the NBA. So I'm going to wait to thank Andrew Sharp and Ben Golliver until I'm on top of that stage with the Larry O'Brien trophy cradled in my arms, and that's when I'm going to shout out the Open Floor podcast. That's a great point. You don't want to burn your best material early, right? Well, exactly. maybe, maybe we'll get a little like uh, you know, little stencil on the Honest Freaks ones whenever they come out from Nike. You know, maybe we'll get a little like uh, homage in his sneakers. You know how they like to do those. Uh, oh, absolutely. That would be a crowning achievement, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, either that or we're getting nothing ever and we're going to have to deal with it. I don't think that's going to shake our love, but it was a fun night. I mean, the award show, I understand it's incredibly hokey. Some of the jokes that they were going through in terms of the skits, like Shaq with the rubber gloves. I mean, what did that, like, how was that even part of the the show? But I thought Giannis really came through in the clutch when it, it came to the speech. Um, it was a nice fitting uh, end, I think, to the season that you know ended in kind of disappointing fashion for them on the court for him, Coach mm-hmm. Budenholzer, John Horst to all get nominated and, and win their categories. Uh, and so it was like the Bucks take LA. It was kind of fun. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk more about the award show in a little bit, but I feel like first of all, it's mostly the NBA's fault that we're not going to lead with the award show because they wait two months to actually hold their regular season award show. I think it would be perfect if they just did it right after the season. Um, But right now, I mean, we're in the middle of kind of sea change across the NBA, and I feel like we should lead with some of the free agency rumors that are beginning to percolate. Is that cool with you? Yeah, I mean, some of these rumors, though, are we in the time period where they're just trying to fill space? Is that, you know, it's like we've already burned up all of the, the good rumors. So now we're like getting down to those, you know, like tier two, tier three rumors. It's what it kind of feels like. 
It is what it feels like, actually, because here, we'll start with Mark Stein. Before we came on to record on Tuesday afternoon, Mark Stein says, The Celtics, I'm told, are emerging as a stealth suitor for Charlotte Hornets free agent Kemba Walker. Boston's cap room situation is a fluid one, but the Celtics, as Danny Ainge has acknowledged, are weighing their various needs as we speak in both the backcourt and frontcourt with Al Horford exiting. So here's what I'm wondering. It's like, are we just going to look back on this as like a 12-hour window where everybody talked themselves into the possibility of Kemba ending up in in Boston? Because it, it, it does seem like... There are a number of those little pockets where like everybody is looking at like the Nets as a potential super team and then a day later that changes and that like the the Celtics, I have no idea what direction they're gonna go. Do you have any read on that particular situation? Well my first read is Mark Stein's doing great work. He's doing the Lord's work here because the Celtics fans need some hope, right? So if you right. can sell some hope to the Celtics fans over the next few days, like you should do that. You know, I mean, you know, it's like setting up an ice cream stand in the middle of July. Like go for it. <laughs> and so full kudos to Mark Stein with that one. Um, Kemba Walker should have a lot of suitors. The Celtics should want Kemba Walker. He's really good. Um, They wouldn't have to pay him this crazy supermax money like Charlotte's going to have to pay him. Um, Honestly, I would probably rather have him from a culture standpoint than Kyrie Irving. Uh, You can make a strong argument that that would be an upgrade of that position if they lose Kyrie and bring in Kemba. Uh, And I think Kemba all along probably should have been getting more buzz uh, as a major star in this summer's class than he did and you know a much more comparable amount compared to Kyrie. I just feel like we're hearing you know 20 or 30 times more about Kyrie than we've heard about Kemba. But I think the question for Kemba is like what's the benefit of going to Boston if Al Horford's not there? Uh, you know it's marginally better than the situation in Charlotte. Uh, but not by that much. I mean, there's still bad contracts on the books. There's still you know roster holes they're going to have to deal with. Uh, wait, I, I wait, think- wait, wait, wait. You think Boston is marginally better than the situation in Charlotte? Yeah. I mean, where are they going? Are they going to win a first-round series next year without Al Horford? Oh, man. I I can't get there. I do think that like the ceiling is significantly lower than it would have been had they traded for Anthony Davis or even kept Al Horford. But, I mean, the situation in Charlotte, it's not even about Boston as far as I'm concerned. The idea of Kemba Walker going back to Charlotte is just like too depressing for me to really yeah, wrap my head around. Boston's pretty darn depressing if they don't have Al Horford and Kyrie Irving. I mean, I don't know. Like, what's their core look like? They got rid of Bain, so I thought it was an important piece for them. Uh, mm-hmm. What's what's their interior rotation look like? How many games are they winning? Aren't they lucky to scrape out 45 next year? Yeah, I mean, I think with Kemba in Boston, part of what appeals to me there is that Brad Stevens would probably get like 120% of Kemba Walker's production out of him uh, because he's just done a really good job. Granted, Kyrie is kind of the exception to the rule, but like he made Isaiah Thomas look about 20 to 30% better than he actually is. He even made Terry Rozier look pretty decent and serviceable during that playoff run. And I think if you gave them someone like Kemba as the focal point of that offense, it would be really dangerous and and fun to watch. Is he playing Um, center too, or how's that going to work? Well, and that's a very fair question. I think if if the Celtics went that direction, they would do so with the hope that they would then be able to turn around and get kind of some sort of bargain bin big guy to to fill in for Horford. And there will be some decent options uh, because I think big guys are going to end up getting screwed this summer. 
But I mean, still like decent options. Like it's like Dwayne Dedman or some Dwayne Dedman adjacent players um, are not really going to be moving the needle. And I think that's who they would be trying to like get lucky with. But um, yeah, that sounds like a seven seed to me. I mean, come on, Dwayne Dedman. Okay. So, so then where else do we want Kemba to land? would be my question. Well, if you're looking for the combination of a better winning environment in the short term and some, you know, longer term potential year two, year three, uh, you know, building growth potential. I mean, I would just say Kemba, my message to you is the same as my message to every high profile free agent come to the Western Conference. You know, it's just better out here. You go to Dallas, (laughs) you can go to the LA Lakers, you can go to the the LA Clippers, the NBA podcast game right now, either one of the LA teams or Dallas, I think would be a better uh, long term fit for Kemba Walker than the Boston Celtics. Yeah, it does seem like Kemba would be a decent backup plan for the Clippers if they strike out on Kawhi. Um, and that that would be fun too. Although if he goes to the Clippers and Kawhi's not going with him, I would say that all the same questions you ask about his fit in Boston would then apply to the Clippers. Like I don't know what Kemba and that Clippers roster is really going to do in a now crowded field out West. Throwing him in Dallas would be a lot of fun. I mean, putting him next to Luka Doncic, they're not going to really guard anybody, but it would be fun to watch that team score 120, 130 points a game. I mean, like the the Mavs in general, I feel like are a little bit of a sleeping giant right now. They've got a lot of space. They've got Luka. They've got Chris Stapps coming back healthy. And like, it wouldn't shock me if they turned around and, and turned into like a 50 win team next year. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of going back to this premise of like, we're working our way through the good rumors, and this is what we're left with, because Boston will have cap space, so that's going to be a story. Who are they going to chase, right? But Mm -hmm. I feel like they have kind of poisoned their situation so much this year that we can't even rev up real rumors. Like, there's been no Kawhi to the Celtics rumors. There's been no Kevin Durant to the Celtics rumors. There's been no, you know, name the other top five free agents. None of them are going to be linked to the Celtics. So I feel his is Kemba getting thrown into the Celtics mix like by default, like he's the best player that anyone can imagine actually giving them the time of day at this point. Yeah, I, I think maybe. And I think there's some New England ties there and Celtics fans would love Kemba. I mean, particularly after two years with Kyrie and the last 12 months with Kyrie, especially like it's almost like when you're dating someone and it ends poorly you seek out like the polar opposite of your of that significant other and Kemba is like very dependable maybe a little bit of a lower ceiling in the postseason than Kyrie but a guy who's just gonna like show up and be a good dude and be fun to root for for the next couple years um so like in that respect, I understand why the Celtics would have interest. Yeah, I mean, can you make an argument why someone should sign with the Celtics this summer, given their situation? I mean, the other the other fit with issue with Kemba there is that it's supposed to be Jason Tatum's team, right? Like, isn't that going to be sort of this three-year plan at this point? I mean, once you lose uh, Horford and Kyrie, don't you have to basically kind of like rejigger things around him and start preparing him for that number one spot? So... Uh, if you're a high-profile veteran free agent who has your opportunities, do you want to go join Jason Tatum's team? Isn't that an open question? And then that's does a very it, fair question. And doesn't it make you a little bit nervous that Kyrie got so unhappy there so quickly? And doesn't Gordon Hayward's contract make you very skittish? And doesn't the fact that Al Horford, who seemed like he was a perfect fit in Boston, 
was either lowballed or just not able, you know, not getting taken care of by the front office uh, when it came time for payday. All of those things would make me nervous and turn me off as a, if I was a free agent. Now, these are not lasting questions that are going to continue through the end of time. But like right. right now, in this moment, when you're ch- choosing between A, B, C, and D, I mean, I just feel like Boston's behind some of these teams. There's no question about it. And the Hayward thing, it's funny. When you asked me about like Boston's nucleus and what's your selling point to Kemba, I didn't even think of Hayward. And that's kind of where we are with Hayward right now. I think obviously if you're signing there and actually like putting pen to paper, you're going to be talking yourself into what Hayward can be next year and what he's going to be in the set. Like the talking point with him is like, you know, it's, a, it's the second year after the injury that you really see them bounce back and look at Paul George. Well, like Paul George in year one after his injury was worlds better than Hayward was last year. Yeah, Grant, don't, you, Hay- don't you think uh, Hayward's got more recruiting juice in the 2K league than the NBA? <laughs> Maybe. That's a, that's a really grim way to put it, but uh, I hear you, man. And I think... The selling point for a free agent with Boston would be something along the lines of like, I can grow with this core and we can be, we can do something special in three or four years. So in that case, you're talking more about a guy like D'Angelo Russell than someone like Kemba who wants to go somewhere and win now. Because I do think like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, they can still be pretty special a few years from now and they'll probably make the playoffs next season. But um, but you're right, man. If I were Kemba, I would not want to go and just kind of like tread water for a year or two. And then suddenly when it's time to win, I'm 31, 32, 33 years old. Well, I actually think the Russell fit would be better. I mean, he's more aligned timeline wise with Brown and Tatum. Um, yeah. I think that you know they've got some defensive uh, pieces already in place who could help cover for D'Angelo Russell. I actually kind of like that fit better than this Kemba idea, but I, I just throw it back to you. If you're Russell and you've got your pick of four or five different teams that you're trying to land on, where does Boston come up in your mix? Is it a backup plan? Is it you know is it in competition for that number one spot or what? Well, put it this way, okay. So I saw D'Angelo linked to Minnesota. So a writer was predicting <laughs> okay, where everybody okay. was going to land. <laughs> it's like I would prefer Boston to Minnesota. I would prefer Boston to Phoenix. So if like the Lakers aren't an option and returning to Brooklyn isn't an option, then maybe Boston starts to make more sense. I think if I was him, I might prefer Phoenix to Boston. Is that completely Ooh, nuts? I don't I mean, know. I just... the, the Booker friendship weighs heavily there, having all the touches, no responsibility, no pressure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think there is a pressure cooker environment to the Celtics organization, too, that people have gone through. I mean, it's crazy how many people cover that team on a daily basis, especially for a team that, you know, didn't even make the Eastern Conference Finals this year. Uh, and, and like people talk about the New York media. I mean, the Boston media is a real deal, too. It is. It is. And they like live and die with every three game losing streak. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a factor, too. I and don't it know. doesn't the even really team... matter how, how good you become because there's Tom Brady, you know, there's Bobby Orr. You know, there's all these other people you've got to like <laughs> live in their shadow. You can win three titles there and still not even be on their Mount Rushmore. It's tough, but from Boston to D'Angelo Russell's old team, let's talk Nets for a second. Tommy Beer tweeted this. He's a Knicks writer, and he said, on ESPN's The Jump, Brian Windhorst says the Nets are, quote-unquote, gaining confidence that they'll sign Kevin Durant. Kendrick Perkins says the Nets are the front runners to land KD, and Windy adds that Perkins is not the only person involved in the NBA that has said that. 
So, I mean, it's hard to really know what to make of any of this right now, but I will say that the Nets are officially the favorites in Vegas to land KD. What's your read on that and the possibilities there? I was one of the few people who actually defended Kevin Durant loudly and never backed down about his decision to go to the Golden State Warriors. If he signs for with the, for years, I still defend it. If he goes to the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie Irving, that will be the biggest mistake of his entire career, and I will not defend him <laughs> in any way whatsoever. I mean, what was the number one thing that was the problem with him going to Golden State? He lost the the court of public opinion, right? Everybody turned uh-huh. against him. If you go to the less popular team in New York City and you're living day by day by day in New York City, a team that doesn't even really have a substantial fan base, certainly nothing compared to the Knicks fan base, and you have spent the last year flirting with the Knicks only to spurn them for this uh, little brother uh, across the bridge, that would be arguably even a bigger public relations disaster and he's at a point right now where everybody has come back to team kevin you know unfortunately it took a career altering injury for that to happen but he actually has some goodwill to squander that to go play with a player (laughs) Wait, wait 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 hold on i don't think he would be squandering it as much as you imply i think you would feel personally betrayed if he went and tied the next four years of his career to Kyrie Irving, old Mr. Coffee Shop. But I do think the mainstream would be kind of excited about that partnership. I think you and I both have misgivings about how it would play out. The basketball hipsters would pretend like it's a great idea, but come on, that would be an absolute disaster on the court. I mean, okay, look, they would win games, right? But are they going to compete for a title? I don't think so. Are you going to buy a Kevin Durant's Nets jersey? I mean, isn't that the most important question here? Like from a marketability and a likability and a brand standpoint, isn't that what we've heard from 35 ventures for these last few years? You're going to go do that with the Nets? Come on, man. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, and, you know, I think both you and I, I can hear it in your voice as we talk through some of this stuff. Like this week, I'm sure next week as the league is turned upside down, it will begin to get frenzied and a lot of fun and, and we'll see where we are. But like this week, the there's been so much buildup to this offseason. It now feels a tiny bit anticlimactic. And, um, and I think a big part of that is Kevin Durant and his injury. It, it's just really frustrating. And so if you told me Kevin Durant was going to spurn the Knicks at the 11th hour and sign with the Nets to play with Kyrie Irving and we were going to see him healthy next year. Like, that would actually be crazy enough to be really yeah. exciting to me. Um, I <laughs> mean, misgivings me, aside. I hear you. It would be better than not watching Kevin Durant. But you know how people love to argue, oh, is this like a, a problem of the process or a problem of the results? If Kevin Durant plays for the Nets, it's both, okay? that The process went completely <laughs> off the rails and the result is not going to be what we had hoped for. Yeah, well, and if he does do that, I will then spend the next several years wondering how much uh, changed with that injury and, and whether there, there was sort of like an agreement in place with the Knicks that then went sideways after his Achilles rupture. And um, we'll probably never know, but like for all I can say is that all year long, anyone you talk to about Kevin Durant would say, like, I mean, it's going to be the Knicks. Like, don't overthink this. And now, suddenly, that is kind of completely up in the air. Um, and we'll we'll have to see. I, I will say there's going to be a lot of room to second-guess the Porzingis trade. 
I still understand <laughs> yeah. what the Knicks were doing there um, because they thought they were getting Kevin Durant and because the door was open to have a real title shot with KD and whoever they could get alongside him. Um, but that's not going to end well. And there were Knicks fans at the time who said to me, I understand what they're doing, but we're the Knicks and this stuff always ends horribly. And so we'll see, but it's it certainly looks like those Knicks fans may have had a point. Well, let's wait until they don't get Kevin Durant to come back and kind of like reassess all of that. I think uh, there's also the possibility that like if you're trying to generate some interest in Kevin Durant's free agency, you would want there to be more than just the Knicks out there uh, in yeah. the conversation because otherwise it's you know, a little bit boring and anticlimactic, like you said. Um, I will just say this. I'm a proud person, you know, stiff handshake kind of guy. I am on my knees <laughs> begging Kevin Durant. What does that even mean? <laughs> You know what that means. Come on. Now, that being said, I am on my knees right now begging Kevin Durant. Whatever decision you make this summer, even if you make the wrong one by going and playing with Kyrie Irving and the Nets, you have to message it a lot better than last time. No more Players' Tribune stuff. Have a clear explanation for why you're doing what you're doing. Take us behind the scenes of the injury and the aftermath because everyone is dying to know what was going through your head at that moment. I know it's painful. I know you don't want to do that. Uh, I think it would be helpful to open yourself up in that way and let people in to your thought process. Mm -hmm. A huge problem and a huge cause of all the backlash that you've dealt with these last three years was because you messaged the decision horribly as poorly as we've seen anybody worse than Gordon Hayward who had to pretend he wasn't going to the Boston Celtics and throw Chris Haynes under the bus for like six hours so he could get his little essay off do a better job with it <laughs> I am begging you Kevin do a better job from the PR standpoint uh, I will never forget how outraged you were by Gordon Hayward sabotaging everyone's 4th of July and delaying things by eight hours so that he could release that Players' Tribune essay. And then you came on the podcast calling him a fake superstar, coming <laughs> from off the top rope. It was great. Um, well, look, he needed an editor, too. That was a problem. That's the thing. Like, if you can't write a 3,000-word um, you know, essay, like you can't construct it properly, don't. Put it out there some other method, Instagram story, whatever you need to do. Just get your version out so we know what's going through your head. That is my number one wish for the free agency period, Andrew, is to have a clear understanding of what Kevin Durant was thinking about, what he prioritized, and why he made the decision that he did. Everything else, I'm fine with. Okay, so as a Kevin Durant fan, um, I mean, you're pretty objective, but as someone who's who's rooted for him for 10 years now... Um, would you prefer to have him in Brooklyn with Kyrie or just on his own in New York, redshirting next season, and then we can kind of pick up the pieces next summer and see what they can build around him? I would prefer him to stun the world and go back to the Warriors because uh, yes. there was a lot of like uh, chest thumping after that loss to the Raptors about how we're not done yet. And if he leaves, all of that talk is going to feel very, very sad. You know, it's going to be like, wow. Proud champion, like pushed themselves to the limits. Pieces started falling apart in every direction. Kaboom! And you know it's that pride of a champion that sometimes you don't know when the end is actually coming. That I yeah. I don't want it to end that way, right? Now, I would hope that if he's been you know 
finagling all this stuff, you know, for years and has a plan in place that he wouldn't just be going to the Knicks with nobody else, right? Like, shouldn't there be someone uh, willing to go along with him if he's this big power broker, if the people around him have consolidated power like, a you know, a Rich Paul um, and have, you know, positioned him in this situation? Like, if he winds up getting stuck on the island by himself because of that injury, I think that is arguably sadder than going to the Nets to play with Kyrie. So I don't yeah. see either one of those options that you're laying out there as being very palatable. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, tying his career to Kyrie Irving would just be such a bitter pill, you know? It's brutal, man. Well, not, not that. That part isn't brutal. I think that would be fascinating. It would be a major gamble on Brooklyn's part, but I understand why they would do it because, I mean, if it works oh. out, you, you're a title team. But Of course, they should do it. I mean, yeah. any of these teams should welcome any of these superstars. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from this summer is, like, we no longer have to pretend that, like, the teams are calling these shots, well, right? You've got the all thing, these though. franchises just setting the table saying, please, come pick us, and we'll be your little, uh, you know, three- or four-year uh, you know, landing pad. We'll be glad to do whatever we can and then just move on to another team in the future. It just gets like that more and more every summer. It would just be a much bigger gamble than it would have been had you told me a year ago the Nets are going to sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in the summer of 2019. At, like Now, both those stories have gotten a lot more complicated. With Durant, the, the, the scenario I'll always wonder about with New York is that it looked like they had cleared out enough space to sign another star alongside KD. And then they did have a number of trade assets that they could have thrown at New Orleans to try and steal uh, Anthony Davis. And that would have been like a ready-made super team. And then the other side of it, <laughs> and the, the Kyrie side of the gamble, Alex says, are we sure that Kyrie to Brooklyn won't just be a sequel to Dwight Howard on the Lakers? I think I also heard Bobby Marks compare Kyrie Irving to Darren Williams on the low post last week. Um, I think that's the territory we're in with Kyrie. We're like, look, if he's going to be there and will help you recruit Kevin Durant, like sure, sign him. But even beyond the, the off-court stuff, which I think is reasonable to worry about and like the personality stuff how his impact on a locker room and a culture just his body is what would really freak me out and I think that's where you you start looking to Darren Williams and say all right so like once this guy lost a step or two he was not the same player that he had been in Utah and I think that's a distinct possibility with wherever Kyrie goes over the next few years and so if you're not adding him to an existing title nucleus like it's a major major gamble yeah i mean i think Kyrie's probably still about 60 pounds away from that um but i, I definitely agree that that's a concern uh, as he ages i mean i think it's more about like how well his knees can hold up to exactly yeah. huge minutes and you know everything else i think d will had a couple of problems i think he just got really happy to cashing those checks and uh, that that is something that you, it's very hard to judge when players are all NBA level guys earlier in their career, as they're building up, they get the big payday, and then okay, what's the motivation? I mean, that's a that's a tricky one. I'm not sure if Kyrie's in that same zone or if he's in his own twilight zone. Um, so I, but I see where you're going with that. I actually would prefer Kevin Durant, by the way, to go to the Clippers than either one of these New York situations. And they can't even seem to get yeah. into the rumor. They can't even get in the rumor mill. I don't understand why. 
Well, and it's funny because for a while they were there were murmurs that the Clippers were kind of a dark horse with Durant, and my read on it then was okay. So this is people trying to kind of drum up Knicks alternatives to create a little drama before July first. Basically, what you said was maybe happening with the Nets, and um, now when you step back and look at the organizations in question here. And who would you trust most to take a redshirt year and start building really smartly around a post-Achilles Kevin Durant? Like, I think I would definitely trust the Clippers more than either the Nets or the Knicks. And, I mean, it's it seems like the Warriors are sort of out of the picture at this point. But, like, given those three teams, the Clippers are, are much better situated to kind of build creatively there. Yeah, for sure. And I just think that like I trust their organization, front office, coaching staff, all of that more than either one of the other situations. And I guess if I was one of these guys, I would be valuing those kinds of things a lot more than it seems like they do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. Another team in L.A., um, which we've sort of buried the lead. I do think that like we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about the Lakers, um, whether they succeed or fail. So we could be quick here. Well, Adrian- actually, on that same point, though, what is the possibility that the Clippers, after all of this, wind up coming home empty-handed? Like, it seems like that's possible, right? I think it's a 50-50 possibility at this point, where, Ooh. I mean, it's which is like uh, uncomfortably high, I would say, if, you, if you've been working in the Clippers organization and getting everything right and clearing all this money and then you look at like Kawhi is apparently leaning towards staying in Toronto, which makes sense to me. And then beyond that, I don't think that they're going to be in a hurry to settle for like a B-list candidate. I think Kemba could fit their culture and what they're trying to build. But like the idea of them turning around and throwing $160 million at Jimmy Butler doesn't seem particularly plausible. And they, they may just sort of like keep their powder dry for free agent targets or trade targets down the line. Man, that would be so tough to sell to Steve Ballmer. You know, it's like this billionaire who's given you everything, right? And he's like said, go and do whatever you need to do. Like, we got to go chase Kawhi Leonard all over the country. And then you're like, well, it turned out there was only like three (laughs) real stars in the summer. We went 0 for 3 and we're going to try again next year. Well, meanwhile, the Lakers just add Anthony Davis across town sharing the same building. That would be tough, man. I would not want to be in that meeting when that goes down. It would be tough, but at the same time, I think one of the reasons Steve Ballmer traded Blake Griffin is he said, we are done finishing in the middle, and we actually want to start building toward a championship. So I think selling him on the idea that it's not worth overpaying some underwhelming backup options um, wouldn't be that difficult. I, if I were the Clippers, then I would start shifting my focus to Bradley Beal. Like there's our obligatory Bradley Beal mention for the episode, but like that tier of kind of like trade targets over the next 12 months would be a decent option if I were Steve Ballmer or someone who well, worked for him. And actually, I think Steve Ballmer's like smart enough and realistic enough and pragmatic enough that he wouldn't just like freak out for no reason and be blindsided. Like, it doesn't he have like an AAU basketball background too? So he understands yes. what's involved with trying to chase these players. It doesn't always work, right? But still, like, that's your whole organizational goal is building to this summer. And I think that's absolutely true for the Clippers. I mean, 
some of these other players they've got under contract are going to come due for contracts here, you know, down the you know big raises uh, in the future. This is sort of their window to add a really big, uh, you know, big time player without, you know, blowing up the rest of their rotation. If they just can't do it, um, you know, I think they're going to be one of these people when we do the winners and losers of mid-July, uh, you know, they're they're going to be in one of those two categories. There's not going to be a middle ground. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's no question about it. And I think like a, a major loss for the Clippers is a lot more in play now than it seemed it would ever be six months ago. Um, but Adrian Wojnarowski on the Lakers side says, I think one focus for the Lakers will be the point guard position and they can get involved with D'Angelo Russell. That's going to be a focus for the Lakers I'm told that Russell will have an open mind to returning to Los Angeles. So what do you think of that, Ben? You're not the world's biggest D'Angelo fan, but to me, it makes some sense if they can't get Kawhi Leonard and if they can't get Kyrie Irving. What do you think of that idea? Well, I think that D'Angelo Russell and his people should go back and watch any highlights of LeBron James over the last 15 years to get a sense for what his role would be because this guy seems to love dribbling the ball and you know stepping into mid-range jumpers off balance you know uh-huh. late in games and trying to play the hero and his job is going to be to stand in the corner and watch LeBron do whatever LeBron wants to do and so I think from a, a basketball fit standpoint it'd be terrible for him now I think that some of the drama from the Lakers era like they're already trying to like, you know, mend those fences. And Magic Johnson said a few things these last couple of days about, hey, you know, he's he's a different he's man now. He's now. grown yeah. up. <laughs> I mean, right on schedule for Magic. So I appreciate that from him. Um, I just think he'd have a better opportunities elsewhere. You know, I think that he should be viewing himself as if not a number one guy, then, uh, you know, a solid number two guy, just because his skills demand that he has the basketball. So that would be my number one concern. I think like Tobias Harris was the one uh, recently who said style of play is what matters to him. He wants to play in a situation where there's ball movement, getting up and down. He can kind of show what he does. I thought it was a very intelligent answer from him, thoughtful. It's like he's kind of put uh, you know, the entire process and ranked everything and said, here's what I need to do to be the happiest and most successful. And mm-hmm. I think for D'Angelo Russell, if he doesn't get all the touches like he had in Brooklyn, he is not going to be happy because now he's had those. He understands what he can do. He can sneak onto an all-star team and start to generate some of this buzz. Uh, you know, being kind of demoted to like a third wheel uh, within a super team, I don't think he has the personality for that. And I don't think his trajectory should be limited by that kind of a, a hiccup mid-career. Well, okay, so to play devil's advocate there, I do think he would have the ball in his hands a lot with LeBron and Anthony Davis. I mean, Anthony Davis is a front court player. LeBron is going to be coasting through long stretches of next year's regular season, I think, or I would expect. Um, and if you care about being like a megastar, there's no better platform. I mean, like 20 minutes ago, we were talking about like maybe Phoenix or maybe Minnesota, maybe Boston. Like if D'Angelo Russell goes to be the third wheel on a team that's going to be on national television probably 75 times next season, like that's a big opportunity for what he wants to be off the court and like who he wants to be as a superstar, um, which I'm sure is part of the appeal. My thing is, this is really only plausible if the Nets do sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because D'Angelo is a restricted free agent. And so, like, the timing 
on the Lakers side would be pretty complicated, I imagine, because the, the Nets can then match and then tie up that cap space, and it would leave the Lakers in a really tricky spot. Yeah, I mean, LeBron usage rate 32 last year, Anthony Davis usage rate 30 last year. So I'm looking around saying, all right, like it, it all sounds well and good if these guys, you know, are going to sacrifice a little bit, but they're not going to be sacrificing that much. And I also yeah. think the dynamic you've described with D'Angelo Russell, I mean, what a perfect scapegoat, right? Like who's getting blamed if it doesn't work? <laughs> <laughs> like that'd be the point. easiest. I mean, you could already write the column right now when they lose in the, the second round of the playoffs. You know, D'Angelo wasn't ready, right? Yeah, um, that's a good so point. So I don't know. I If I were him, like trust your gut instincts, which probably tells you you were very happy to leave LA, right? Like there was a reason for that. Uh, some of the same dysfunction on the organization is still there, even though there's two new megastars in the picture. And, you know, try to do something on your own terms. Um, I don't really think I need to give him this speech, by the way. I think he already thinks this way. I don't, am yeah. I wrong? Well, and as much as we want to make fun of Magic, uh, because he does deserve to be mocked for how, how transparently he stabbed D'Angelo in the back on the way out of L.A., I do think he's right that D'Angelo Russell is more mature now than he was two or three years ago when he was with I the mean, Lakers. Wasn't he right when he criticized him too? Yeah, it's a very low bar for D'Angelo. He was, he, I think he was right, but it was like a level of honesty that you almost never see from NBA executives. And I think Magic just should have been more diplomatic about it on the way out. It was kind of like tacky. I hear you. He said some things that he probably shouldn't have said. Um, but he, you know, that's been sort of his forte here the last couple of years, hasn't it? Just being a little too honest, a little too real yeah. with everybody. <laughs> Get him in front of a microphone and problems happen. Uh, well, we could revisit the Lakers later in the week. Uh, but first, Ben, today's show is brought to us by Harry's Razor. Did you know that the average guy will spend 3,000 hours of his lifetime shaving? Don't waste four months of your life overpaying for poor performing razors with those 3,000 hours. Get Harry's, a razor that is so sharp you can shave less often and will save you money. It's just $2 per blade with the Harry's razors, and they give you a close shave with a smooth glide for that low price. Over 10 million customers have already tried Harry's razors Claim your special offer by going to harrys.com slash floor. Ben, tell me a little bit more about Harry's. Harry's founders were two regular guys tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced gimmicks, vibrating heads, flex balls, handles that look like a prop in a sci-fi movie. These are just some of the tactics that the leading brand has used to overcharge us for years. Well, Harry's makes quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. To keep prices low, they cut out the middleman. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making some of the best razor blades in the world for 99 years. Now they can provide great quality at factory direct prices. They also offer a 100% quality guarantee. And if you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Get a trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. A weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade for a close shave, 
rich lathering shave gel that will leave you smelling great and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners of Open Floor can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash floor. That's harrys.com slash floor. Or if you prefer to shop in store, Harry's razors are also available at Walmart and Target. Nothing beats some German razors, Andrew. There you go. And some rich lathering shave gel while you're at it. Um, But Ben, let's get back into it. So can you give me any more sights and sounds from the award show on Monday night? Well, it was um, not as good as the first. I'll I'll admit that. I mean, it's tough with the sequel, right? Like I think the first time they really blew it out in LA last year, I mean, it was kind of a disaster in terms of the actual show itself. People love mocking it, right? It's Mm -hmm. very easy to mock, but the scene you know, was fresh and new and all these random celebrities on the red carpet and just, you know, basketball, you know, people were on the red carpet. This year, I don't know if it had the same pop. I think it's a bad sign when three guys are nominated for MVP and only one of them shows up to the event. You know, that yeah. kind of tells you like, okay, well, first of all, we know who's going to win because he's got like nine of his family members here, right? But second <laughs> of all, like, it's like, imagine if that happened at the Academy Awards, right? It's like, well... Yeah. <laughs> You know, Jack Nicholson's here, but uh, nobody else in his category even bothered to show up. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know, they got some, you know, tinkering to do there. Um, I actually spent a decent amount of the night kind of trailing Bradley Beal around. Now, he won a community service award uh, for okay. some work he had done with like a, a high school, a college prep high school in D.C. that's, you know, all male and they're aimed at trying to get these kids on the college track. And I, the work he is doing, it sounded fantastic. But, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, some of these teams should try to chase him in trade talks. Uh, Beal told me that the owner and Tommy Shepard and Scott Brooks have all independently uh, let him know he is not going to be traded this summer. And he also said that he would be open to uh, discussing the possibility of an extension this summer, even though he wasn't super max eligible. And so I wanted to throw this one to you because it seems kind of like a no brainer, right? The Washington can offer him a three-year, $111 million extension this summer. He could just take that money, add it onto his current deal, and be good to go, right? Yeah. Or he can play out next season. If he makes an All-NBA team, he would suddenly be um, in position to sign a five-year, $247 million Supermax deal next God, summer, right? number. <laughs> yeah. It's a huge number, and there's a big difference there. But what struck me, like, he seems very comfortable in this role of, like, Wizards, you know, face of the franchise. And we've talked about it before, how, like, his loyalty sometimes almost feels misplaced, right? But he's talking about maybe he's going to open a foundation and try to expand his work with this school. And then, you know, as he's kind of, like, you know, discussing all of these plans, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, like, we still don't have a GM. And I'm going to need to, like, see what happens with that as I weigh my decision. He's just in a weird spot right now where... It feels like he's ready to be the man, but the Wizards aren't ready to like put him in really in position to do that because of the John Wall factor, because of the front office, uh, you know, kind of failed GM surge. The vacuum, yeah. Right. And so it's like Bradley Beal is like more poised and ready to go as the face of a franchise than the actual than the franchise. The actual franchise, yeah. Um, I just certainly hear you and have sort of been seeing the same things over the last couple months. Um, and I would echo what you said about like the work Bradley Beal has done off the court in DC is all very real. And he, and even, 
strictly in a basketball context, like he is the guy who, when nobody else is around to take questions or get, you know, talk to, talk to reporters after a loss, like Bradley Beal will always stand in there and talk for five or 10 minutes. And, um, is kind of he's he's done a great job assuming the responsibilities of like a franchise leader over the last six or nine months, um, which has been really impressive. Like on and off the court, he just kind of does everything right, and that includes saying everything right. And I wonder how real it is, and it, like not because I think Bradley Beal is a liar, but because I think that like anyone who's rational about where the Wizards are and what they're ceiling is going to be over the next few years would have some questions about like committing long term in DC and yet every time he's asked about the extension or his future in DC he's just like yeah like I'm a wizard I'm I'm open to it um I want to be here and I wonder how long that's going to last and this is why like I I think the wizards have taken calls on Beal number 1 and, you know, I'm sure Ted Leonsis is, is serious about not trading him. But, like, that to me seems short-sighted because I think the Wizards are probably going to lose another 50 or 60 games this year. Um, and then if you get to March and April and they're still, like, on the outside looking in, you have no idea what they're going to be getting with Wall over the next few years, then you're going to have to start thinking about dealing Beal. Beal's own ideas about what he wants in D.C. may change at that point. And you're probably going to be entering trade talks and entering that zone with significantly less leverage than you have right now. And so that's the part where I'm just like, let's at least like think hard about getting out in front of this before things break bad for everybody involved. Um but it doesn't seem like that's where things are going to go. I think the Wizards are taking calls in in case there's like a blockbuster offer, but um, they may just sort of sit on their hands this summer and try to run it back next year. Yeah, so one one uh, way to look at this extension decision for Beal is like, you remember that one summer where like KD and LeBron were taking the short-term deals, but then guys like LaMarcus Aldridge were like, you know what, like I understand you're going to get cute with the one-on-ones, just like pay me, or like Kevin Love was another example, where yeah. like they're kind of that second-tier star in that like, you know, 10 to 30 range, wherever you want to put them. And it's like, you know what? I just need to cash out as much money as I can. If I get injured or whatever else, like I, I don't want to absorb any risk. Just give me the money, right? Um, I wonder if you're Beal and you're leading the league in minutes last year uh, among all players, you know, regularly playing 40-plus minutes, if you've played every single game uh, of each of the last two seasons, if you dealt with some injury issues earlier in your career. Yes, is the idea of just doing an extension this summer, even though it's for a smaller number, you know, a pretty significantly small number, like I said, three for 111 rather than five for 247 next summer, is there some is there some benefit to doing that? Like, are you able to say, you know what? Well, yeah. Like, I'm not a top five player, right? My earning potential might not still be there. If I have an Achilles injury, my career could go more the way of – DeMarcus Cousins rather than the way of Kevin Durant from an earning potential standpoint? Like, would those kinds of thoughts enter into your head, especially if you're comfortable in the community and they're kind of saying, hey, you know what, you're going to be the face of the team? Like, would yeah. that be enough to kind of, uh, you know, get you to think about it longer and harder? Or you know would what? you still want to hold out? I'm really glad you mentioned that because as you were talking initially, I was thinking, you know, there's, al- there's always a chance that Bradley Beal 
struggled with injuries early in his career and just wants the security. And so sure, there's absolutely, that's a distinct possibility that that's the way he approaches this decision. And I do think he's really happy in DC and he's happy having that, that team to himself where he can kind of be the leader. You know, he hangs out with Caps players out at his house in Potomac and like he has really enjoyed becoming part of the community. Um, I just know as someone who's watched him over the last couple of years, like he gets better in the playoffs he could fit on a dozen different teams around the league, playoff teams with other stars alongside him. And um, so as someone who's been kind of invested in his growth and who has studied the way the Wizards have operated over the last couple of years, like it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if he left because I would be happy for him, um, as grim as that sounds. And then like I do think the Wizards are just in a different spot right now where they should be thinking about where they want to be in 2024 as opposed to how do you win 43 to 47 games to sneak into the back end of the Eastern Conference playoffs next year. Um, and I, unfortunately... No, that's very well said. I guess if I was giving him the advice, I would lean more towards what you're saying, which is even if there were an injury, your skill set is is pretty unique. You know, There's not a lot of you know two guards in that mold to kind of do it all type two guards scoring wise you fit with just about everybody very transferable skills you're still relatively young like I don't, I'm not sure how big the downside risk would be you know outside of like a horrible catastrophic uh, you know situation which obviously we would never wish on anybody yeah and I think the closer that he gets on his timeline here to the end of his contract the more leverage he will have in this negotiation right so like I, I do think the big downside of signing an extension this summer would be that like you're basically putting full faith in an organization that really hasn't earned it and that would be very scary i mean to me it would almost be scarier to fully trust the wizards for the next you know four years because it would be you know three plus his current deal um yeah. than it would be to risk injury going forward next season yeah i mean look this is a team that does not have a general manager right now. So uh, I think Beal is really good at saying the right things, but is also probably going to be smart and strategic about preserving his flexibility as long as he can. So um, we'll see. If the Wizards could sign him, I should say this also, like if if he is willing to sign that extension and, and commit to the next five years in D.C., the Wizards should absolutely do it. Like, he's great. And in that case, it makes sense to keep him. I just, I worry that he wouldn't do that. And then you want to kind of get out in front of things and um, and make a change yeah. while you can still so, get some fair value. Woj was the one who reported that they're planning to do that in July. Do you think they should just do that publicly? You think they should just come out and say, you know what, Brad, oh, we, we view you as the man. Like, we're willing to offer you every penny that we can offer you this summer. We understand if you don't want to take it um, because, you know, a lot of times guys in that situation wouldn't, not even yeah. anything to do with the Wizards, but just, you know, given the potential, you know, windfall that awaits next summer. But, you know, this is like our big PR victory of the summer. Like we drafted Rui so that we could own Japan, right? And then number two, <laughs> we told everybody that we really liked Brad. Like, is that sort of a smart thing for that franchise to do? Sure, they may as well. Um, unless I, I would be wary of being seen as like trying to pressure B into signing it by doing it all in public um but i think that they have done a good job messaging to brad all along like we love you and we want you here and i think he, like he told you that last night like all those guys have been very clear with him that uh they they don't intend to trade him they did say the same thing about Otto porter like a month before he was traded to the bulls for 
second round picks and garbage yeah. but um ted was lying through his teeth on that one man yeah so we'll see also as far as Rui, i really enjoyed the emailer who wrote in i forget his name but he said did the wizards just draft japanese bryce johnson um which cut a little too close to the bone but uh is a possibility i also saw a video on twitter today saying did the wizards just draft the next Giannis and ted Acumpo? so um, a lot of outcomes in play for the Rui era here, but uh, come on now, don't don't do this to Giannis. <laughs> yeah. don't I'm do open to, to anything. That's all I'm saying. I've got an open mind here. Um, moving on though, let's move to the West real quick. At the end, Nick says, "Okay, okay, Mike Conley is on the Jazz, and things are getting real. I think they're finally ready for a real push at a title. But the question is, if the Jazz are close." What has to happen for them to actually overcome everyone else in the West? What do you think, Ben? Uh, just win the war of attrition. I mean, you know, isn't that the the lesson from this year's playoffs? It's just like wait till other teams shoot themselves in the foot. I mean, yeah. I think that their biggest matchup issues, uh, Golden State and Houston, are looking like they're both going to be in diminished capacity. Um, if I were them, I would be trying to conjure up a Harden stopper um, because that guy just has their number. And even if you add Mike Conley, like I don't know if you've solved that like kind of key matchup issue uh, between those teams here. So I would be spending all my you know mental energy this summer trying to find a perimeter defender who can do uh, you know a halfway decent job on limiting Harden. But well, past that, so- like I think that they match up better with Golden State, you know, a lot better now than they did previously, and. You know, I think that they feel, they should feel like they can beat Denver in a series or beat Portland in a series. Like I think they're right there. Yeah, I agree with you. And even if you go back to that first round matchup against the Rockets, I mean, they blew that game three against Houston and and really kind of choked it away. That should have been a win. And then game five against Houston, back in Houston, they were right there. It was just Donovan Mitchell could not hit a shot down the stretch, and it was like almost awkward like you're sitting there tugging at your collar being like really like this is the only option you guys have so i think mike conley can help in that respect i was gonna say conley helps a lot there right yeah yeah and so i'm excited to see what utah can do because it's a little different where like the rockets and the warriors have owned the nuggets as well but the nuggets show up in those matchups and just get shredded whereas like the jazz have actually been able to hang in there with houston in some of these games and um and so I think you level the playing field a little bit and things could get pretty interesting next year. The question I have with them is like, would you keep favors uh, going forward or try to sign somebody with, I think if, if they renounce him, they could create $17 million in cap space. And I'm not sure who they could go get. Like if Denver doesn't keep Millsap, Millsap might be a cleaner fit as kind of a stretch four for them. But do you have any ideas there? I mean, if Denver lets Millsap go to Utah, that's a catastrophe. You know, yes. that's like one of those where you just come on now. You can't let that happen after all this. Um, I don't. I think that they've probably gotten all the lemonade out of Derek Favors' lemon. You know what I mean? They've kind of squeezed <laughs> that one as far as it could go. It's tricky because he's come in really handy at certain times for matchup issues when you know Rudy Gobert has kind of gotten into trouble there. But I think if you're Utah, you're kind of banking on the Warriors 
uh, no longer just owning that matchup game. Gobert being able to stay on the court a little bit more than he has in past years. I mean, taking Kevin Durant out of that, you know, hypothetical head-to-head definitely changes things uh, and rebalances it in Utah's favor. And I can say the same thing about Denver too. I know what you're saying about them getting shredded in the past, but if I'm the Nuggets, honestly, I'm coming into this season saying, you know what? Other than Steph Curry, you know, we arguably have the best player in the Western Conference, and we've got a lot of guys who fit really well around him. We should be going deep, you know, potentially, you know, thinking finals type run uh, if I'm the Nuggets. And I realize that's going to be blasphemous to some people, but Jokic was a stud in the playoffs. It was his first time there. I don't think he's going to be, uh, you know, doing anything except for improving here over these next couple of years. So, I think if you're Denver, you got to be in talent retention mode, you know, mm-hmm. pay up whatever it takes to keep Millsap. Uh, and if you're Utah, uh, you've got all the hallmarks of a team. You've got multiple playmakers. You've got the defensive player of the year. Uh, you've got some other guys who can shoot uh, on the outside, whether it's Ingles or whoever else. Um, I'm not sure if you really need favors. I think you could probably redistribute that money a little bit better. But, you know, they're. I think they've got a higher ceiling than they've had basically in a decade, right, as a team? Yeah, yeah, there's no question about it. And I agree with you on Denver's side, too. Like, if I were working for the Nuggets or a Nuggets fan, I would be very fired up about what's possible next year. And that's true of a lot of teams in the West. So Joshua says, last week I saw Andrew's tweet about teams who think they will make the finals next year. And I'll read who I listed. I said, teams who are going to enter next year's West thinking they're making the finals— Denver, Utah, the Lakers, the Rockets, the Clippers, question mark. Obviously, that is Kawhi contingent. The Warriors, question mark. And that was more just sort of a nod to Draymond Green's arrogance. I could see them showing up in October and being like, fuck it, we're still making the finals. But like, that's four or five teams right there who think that they're going to have a shot. And then I left off the Blazers and the Thunder, both of whom are probably going to enter next season looking a little bit different. Um, The Blazers will probably believe they have a shot. I'm not sure if I'll believe it. A lot depends on whether they're able to keep Al Farouk Aminu this summer. Um, But I mean, like, it's kind of crazy. The field is going to be seven or eight or nine deep in the West with teams who are really good and are going to have like a credible shot at making a conference finals run. Yeah, I mean, the field is always, you know, 10 teams deep in the Western Conference. That's why it's called the show. The only difference is that the one super team that's kind of loomed over everybody isn't going to be there. So um, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for the the Superior Conference to show off its depth and its talent and its superstar level players. Okay, they're all such imperfect teams. That's part of what is going to make it fun is none of these teams are necessarily a juggernaut. Uh, I mean, the Lakers are going to be like putting the rest of the roster together with paper mache. And the, the Jazz, as great as we want to say they are, are still going to be counting on a lot of guys like Dante Exum and Joe Ingles who are like, okay, but not necessarily like mind-blowing. And um, so, so it's a good point. You look out at the East, you see all these perfect contenders like the Pacers, and you just get jealous. <laughs> look, man, Ben Simmons is going to fix his jump shot, and the Sixers are going to come back stronger than ever. Um, can, can I have a serious response to uh, this question, though? I like the topic idea. This sounds like a great thing to discuss after free agency (laughs) because we're going to know a lot more. I think that we will be able to sink our teeth into like some Western Conference projections uh, in mid-July. That's your point is well taken. The one team that I would throw in, though, 
that I forgot to mention and that I think a lot of people are forgetting to mention as they spin things forward in the West are your San Antonio Spurs, Ben. Because DeJounte Murray is coming back healthy. My guy, DeJounte Murray, and Lonnie Walker. Like It would be very Spursy to have him come out of nowhere and average 15 points a game next year. I don't know. The Spurs loom as a dark horse that may just be more competent than anybody, particularly if the Rockets fall apart or self-combust over the next like six or seven months. You know, it says a lot about the Spurs that I didn't even think you were going to say them when you had that windup. I thought you were going to say the Sacramento Kings. (laughs) So that's what that's what Jamar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge have done to me. Could you see it though? I mean, I think like they have a lot of talent if they can get if like Dejounte takes a major step forward. I could see them at, like the Spurs Jazz Western Conference Finals yes. being like one of the ugliest series in NBA <laughs> history. Like I can see that, and everybody being like, "Why did Kevin have to get injured? This ruined the entire league." You know, it wasn't yeah. the Warriors super team that actually ruined the league. It was Kevin's injury. Uh, yeah. I could see that playing and suddenly out we're next May. Rudy Gobert and Rudy Gay and Joe Ingles and um, I don't know whoever else. Uh, what is it? Uh, Jakob Pertl <laughs> down in San Antonio. It'll be a blockbuster conference finals next year in the West. Yeah, sounds fantastic. Sign up. That's not. We're gonna leave that out of the recruiting video for all these free agents coming to the Western Conference. We're not even gonna <laughs> mention what what could transpire come next May. You decided it was time to upgrade your outdoor deck, so you got all the essentials to do it. You ordered a power washer, a set of patio chairs, and a shiny new grill. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping and up to 5.25% as a preferred rewards member, which you put towards your most essential deck addition, a bird feeder. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. After the trip, I drove my van back with all my equipment. I could hear a little bit of whimpering and crying. When Eldon Kidd, a father of five running rafting tours through Mexico, found two Guatemalan girls stowed away in the back of his tour van one night, it changed his life forever. They pleaded with me, can you bring us to the border? I agreed. And I thought, Can I do this again somehow? From the team behind American Skyjacker comes an epic new crime series, American Coyote. Being a coyote is a dangerous and illegal business. You have to be prepared for the worst. The unbelievable tale of a legendary coyote named Eldon Kidd, American Coyote. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. All right, a couple loose ends from draft night. Chris says, Apparently the Celtics got wind of a secret handshake deal between the Sixers and Matisse Thibel to draft him 24. So the Celtics drafted him at 20 and then ransomed him to the Sixers for 24 and 33. How did the Celtics know? How did they know how much the Sixers were willing to give up Fultz a few years ago? Did the Celtics have the mole in the, in the Sixers front office? Um, and Ben, I think this is like the most damning indictment of a front office I have seen in recent years. A legit conspiracy theory that the front office has a mole because that's how like unbearably transparent the Sixers have been over the last couple of years. 
Uh, come on, Andrew. Let's let's not be so reactionary because let's not forget that a couple years ago the Sixers actually did have a mole. It was the GM's wife who was tweeting <laughs> online under multiple burner accounts constantly. Okay, so whatever uh, Elton Brand is doing, even if Elton Brand is the guy at the poker table who's just turning all of his cards over for no reason and showing you exactly what he has, yeah, I don't think he's going to be worse or more dysfunctional than that dynamic. Um, which obviously, you know, led to him coming in charge. Now, I don't know about this mole talk. I mean, wasn't the Sixers' interest in uh, that particular prospect widely reported? Like, are we sure Boston has a mole, or maybe they just have a working internet connection up there? I think that's what it is. That's the issue, is that the Sixers are just great at telegraphing exactly who they want and exactly what they intend to do. And that's not the healthiest way to run a basketball team, particularly around like the trade deadline and the NBA draft, um, because that's a great way to sort of kill your leverage in some of these things. And it's just, I, I don't want to overreact because the Sixers got their guy. I really like Matisse Thibel and think he's going to be a really useful role player. But, um, I forget, it was either Spike Eskin or Mike Levin around the draft pointed out like that the Sixers have overpaid in basically every trade they've executed over the last couple years. And um, that's not a great sign, you know what I mean? It, it, like, it hasn't caught up to them just yet because they started with like a, an ungodly amount of assets. But um, it certainly doesn't bode well that like they're just basically getting shaken down by the Celtics on draft night. Yeah, I mean, look, when there's a new GM in town, everybody races to go fleece him. I mean, you saw everybody. How many trades with the Phoenix Suns were there on draft night? It's like, get in before James Jones knows what he's doing, right? And and same deal with Elton Brand. I mean, look Dude, no further than, than the Tobias Harris trade. I mean, come on, man. It's unbelievable. I think that the that ownership and other people in the front office are part of all of this and part of the dysfunction that we've seen with the Sixers. But you mentioned the Suns also. Somebody wrote in, and we're not going to go through it, but they wrote in with like a five-year history of Suns draft picks, and basically everyone Phoenix has drafted besides Devin Booker has not lasted past their rookie deal. Are you and, sure you don't want to read it? Because I've got it right here. It's from Marcos. I yes, can do it quickly. Please Kendall do. Marshall selected 13th. They let him go for nothing. Alex Lenz selected 5th. They let him go for nothing. TJ Warren selected 14th. They let him go for cap space. Tyler Ennis selected 18th. They let him go for nothing. Dragon Bender selected 4th. Unrestricted free agent after declining option on his contract. <laughs> <laughs> they traded the rights to Bogdan Bogdanovich plus 13-27 uh, for the rights uh, of Marquise Chris who was selected eighth, and they let him go for nothing. Tyler Eulis selected 34th, let him go for nothing. Devin Reed, uh, 32, they let him go for nothing. And Josh Jackson, uh, boy, I wonder what's going to happen there, right? So this actually does put the Devin Booker contract uh, into better perspective because if you realize, like, look, he doesn't play any defense. He really hasn't grown as the leader on the court, all these other you know knocks that I've had on him. But if he's just getting paid for, you know, nine first-round draft picks worth for one guy, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just pull all the salaries together from the second contracts and give them to Devin Booker. Maybe that's the starver strategy. I don't know, man. I mean, and the subject line of that email was, Golliver is actually being too soft on the Suns. And it's a fair point because you look back at that, like the start of that list, some of those guys were in the middle of the first, but like, 
there are four top 10 picks that you just listed there. And to let all of those guys go on their rookie deal, and some of them, they weren't, they didn't even have their options extended. I, I assume that uh, Jackson is going to be dumped this summer. Like, that's a full-blown disaster to be operating a basketball team that way. I mean, those are top five picks in most cases. Like, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, when they did the Bender-Chris draft, I mean, it's like you don't even have to analyze it. You can just say, this will get Ryan McDonough fired, period. Like, it's going to yeah. get him fired. We're just going to see how long it takes. And what did it take? Two years? And, like, that's a painful time throughout that entire process. They're just being set back in as, as an organization. And you look at their backup plan here with James Jones, not off to the best start. I mean, like I think I said this earlier, it really feels like he's moved into that Vlade Divac territory where it's like his moves right off the bat are just being met with complete laughter and, you know, like disbelief. Like there's no explanation for what he's doing. That's not the place yeah. you want to be getting off on the right foot. And I mean, I'm not sure Elgin Brand is, you know, quite that bad, um, but I haven't really been a fan of most of what he's done. Yeah, and disbelief is certainly is an accurate description of my reaction to that Suns email because it was just like, whoa, yep, it all checks out. They did let him go for nothing. Alex Len was a total disaster. Um, well, and it's- I, it, it didn't ca- catch me by that surprise, I'll be honest, because I used to have a spreadsheet of all the screwed up <laughs> stuff that had happened in Phoenix because there was like a lot of things like, you know, extreme DUIs and like other arrests of players. Like they had a lot of off-court stuff going on too. And I would yeah. just kind of like keep that ready for the annual column trying to convince Robert Sarver <laughs> to sell the team because you can only write that once per year, right? Um, yeah. So it would like you, you want to have a resource or a database to go to to keep everything, uh, you know, accumulated. But he did a brilliant job with those draft picks. And the sad part is that's like only half the story. I mean, my favorite story from the Suns last season, you could say it was, uh, you know, the GOATs in the office, you know, defecating. I mean, that story was great from Kevin Arnovitz. But Josh Jackson just like blowing off the community event and James Jones like showing up and buying fans beer to apologize. I mean, that's <laughs> way up there. And then just Josh Jackson saying he didn't need to apologize, uh, essentially like, sorry, whatever, like get off my back. Uh, yeah. That was an incredible turn of events. Well, keep keep all those notes ready because I think we're almost ready for the annual sell the goddamn team Robert Sarver column. Um, I, it, we're going to be in mid-July and we'll be able to look back at the season sequence of events starting with the maddening draft night deals and then leading to like god only knows who they're going to sign in free agency i have a, a feeling that we're going to get like this is going to be the fourth straight year the suns just don't have a starting point guard with that though ben moving on uh jackson says hey guys i just watched luca receive rookie of the year and it made me think about his future there's so much hype around zion right now but i'm not sure he's ever going to be better than luca i'm predicting luca will be an all-star next year and eventually an mvp on the other hand i think zion will be good but i don't see him being an mvp what do you guys think i don't know ben do you have any takes there I mean, scoring large amounts of points is very helpful to win MVP, and I think that Luka is more likely to do that than Zion, Um, Mm -hmm. even though I think I like Zion better as an overall prospect um, just because of the two-way stuff and and all that. Um, But I do think, like, if you're looking for a a path for Zion to become MVP, like, who's your comp for him to do that, you know? Yeah, and, I mean, I I see him more as, like – 
an out of this world second star or like co-star. Um, I think if he's your best player, he's going to have a, a harder time like carrying an offense. Whereas Luca, I could see overachieving in a handful of years and being like a James Harden type point guard who just puts a team on his back um, and carries them to a, like a top five offense, 50 wins, 55 wins. And uh, and we'll sort of meet that criteria more. It's it's a fascinating question though. Like just right now, looking out at the next fifteen years, like who is going to have the better career, the more satisfying career? Um, it, it really is a toss up, and it's a credit to how incredible both of those guys are. Yeah, and not to be like uh, a pedantic person, but uh, I can't help it. Um, <laughs> MVP is not the best measure, right? Because right. like Kevin Durant, he's probably going to retire with one MVP. Does that adequately tell you about his career? Um, you know, I think people would make the same argument for Kobe Bryant. Um, people make the argument that LeBron's been shortchanged a few times. Uh, you know, I think there's some people who would say Steph Curry is you know owed at least one MVP, and you know the list goes on and on and on. So. I mean, so much of it's about timing, health, you know, durability, narrative, and all these things that you really can't control. Um, I think the more interesting question is like, which one of these guys is going to be a better long-term prospect? And to me, that's like a crazy debate. And I'm really excited to dig into the Zion experience during summer league because the biggest question I have about him is like, what does he look like against NBA length, right? Yeah. As an offensive player, and you can't know that in college, really. Um, but that's going to be a real adjustment. And I think the same, a similar question for Luca last year was what does he look like against NBA speed, right? Like, you know, the, the guy, can he turn the corner? Can he get to the basket? Can he, you know, find ways to create a shot? And, and there was a lot of skepticism on those fronts. I think he answered a lot of those questions, um, especially fairly early in the season. For Zion, uh, I wonder if it's going to be more of a learning curve against NBA length than maybe we're expecting as we watch him just powerhouse windmill dunk all over everybody for an yeah. entire season at Duke. Yeah, I hope Zion has help and, and is able to play with a couple really good pick and roll guards throughout his career because if that's the case, he's going to be he's going to do a lot of damage. Um, and particularly like on that roll, crashing to the rim as both a scorer and a passer, he's going to be basically impossible to stop. Um, I mean, if you imagine Draymond Green as a playmaker going downhill, except that Zion can finish at the rim, as well as probably anyone in the league. And, and granted, like the length, he's going to have to prove that he can do that. I believe he'll be able to. Um, and so that's just like a crazy valuable player. The other question I had that just kind of like popped into my head last week, if Minnesota could trade... Wiggins and Cat for uh, Zion Williamson. Would you do it if you were Minnesota, and would you do it if you were the Pelicans? I wouldn't do it if I was the Pelicans, because um, I, I just think having a number one pick for the total team control length of the rookie yeah. deal plus the extension is the most valuable asset in there. And you're trying to build positive buzz here. You just drafted Zion. You know, he has this great let's dance slogan. Everybody's excited to see him. And now you're going to trot out Andrew Wiggins. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, Cat too. I think Cat is kind of like a yeah. diamond well, in the rough. Okay, but how is that working for the fan experience in Minnesota? Are they braving the cold winter nights to come delight in watching Carl Anthony Towns? 
mm-hmm. are they more consumed with the fact that Andrew Wiggins is making X million dollars and he doesn't do anything besides kind of put his head down and try to get his own basket? It's really tough. Andrew Wiggins is entering the Reggie Jackson zone for me where like just his presence on the Wolves roster makes it harder for me to get excited about their future. Like they bring in Culver, slide him in next to Robert Covington. They're going to have a great perimeter defense. Like I understand all the talking points, but like as long as Wiggins is there and it's not totally fair because Wiggins is like a credible starter in the NBA, but his game has just been so frustrating at various points over the last couple of years that like, it's hard for me to ever really talk myself into talk myself into like getting excited there. No, you're, you're right. It's not totally fair. I mean, he definitely does things that are helpful. He has some spectacular flashes, but, you know, people are going to be upset at the inconsistency and the perceived lack of improvement, which I think is actually just lack of improvement uh, yeah. from him. Given his contract number, you expect more from a number one pick. I mean, that's the burden of being selected that high, uh, you know, being entrusted with the franchise at a pretty young age like he was. And, I kind of see both sides from it. I also, I don't think that a change of scenery is somehow going to fix Andrew Wiggins. I'll just say that too. You know, like if they do trade him as a Timberwolves fan, I wouldn't be nervous of like, uh Oh, someone's going to unlock Andrew and like figure it out. Like I I just kind of think he he is who he is. It does seem like they may be in a spot where like a fresh start could be healthy for everyone. Um, and particularly like, but you wouldn't be afraid to like, pull the trigger on that though is what i'm saying no not at all um right that, that's my point like i think that i could see sometime in the near future minnesota deciding you know what like we've given this a go we just don't think he's the right guy we've, we're gonna have to have some better flexibility and some you know greater depth around carl anthony towns we need to use that money in other ways yeah. but when you trade a number one pick the fear is like oh my god this guy's gonna blow up somewhere else and make us look terrible and I think if you're Minnesota and like their new front office, Garrison Rosas, like I'm sure he's doing the pros and cons list of all these different opportunities. And like the idea that somehow he is going to turn into the super duper all-star 25, eight and eight type of guy, you know, and the next LeBron or Maple Jordan or whatever they were calling him. Uh, to me, I don't see that as a prohibitive risk at this point. Yeah. Well, we shall see. I'm interested to see what they do in free agency as well. Um, Last question, again from Draft Night. Austin says, please break down the rap battle between Marvin Bagley and Dalla Dame. Grandpa Gulliver can't be trusted to analyze these big things. Um, I'm curious, Ben, did you hear the battle raps between those two from Draft Night? So he thinks you're going to be able to do a better rap battle analysis than me. I was born to analyze rap battles. And isn't it <laughs> isn't it Dame Dalla, not Dalla Dame? Like, yeah. did you get that right? I don't know. All right. Well, hit me with your takes then, Mr. Rap Battle Analyst. Okay. So first of all, everybody said Dame won. I understand that. Uh, he did win. No, um, he did not. He did not. But make your case. He won handily, but here's the thing. Marvin Bagley, I think, actually has the potential to be a better rapper. He's got great flow. He just mixes it up. He's a little bit less robotic, but the problem is I don't think he understands what a diss is. Like, I just think he fundamentally misunderstands because I was going through his (laughs) lyrics, and he's basically just saying, like, okay, Damien, like, you're richer than me. I used to participate in your four bar Friday on Instagram, the competition about rapping, and Adidas sent me some of your signature sneakers. Like those are all self owns. Those are not disses. You know what I mean? Like his material 
The only funny line he had was making fun of the State Farm stroller and how Damien was like a baby in that commercial. Like he just didn't really get how you zing somebody, you know, the the cutting barb that you need to have. They just all kind of like blew up in his face. Um, So from that standpoint, I just think that like even though I'd probably be more likely to listen to a Marvin Bagley album, I think he's too nice to be in – uh, a rap battle because you really have to have that force, right? You have to be like Jay-Z, just like so angry at Nas that you're willing to talk about his baby's mother. We have to be <laughs> Nas just like breaking every protocol in terms of homophobic language and, uh, you know, Jay-Z's the size of his face and all these other things. Like just, you have to get really dark when you're going yeah. back and forth or you have to be like Philadelphia freeway who does not care about anything, right? Who's just willing to just go out and put everybody blast everyone that's not marvin bagley you're not going to be able to convince me even with a good beat and lots of practice that that, that you're that guy uh, first of all i love that you refer to freeway as philadelphia freeway his full name there uh, yeah i i agree with you for the most part i i'm glad that marvin bagley did kind of tread carefully because it would have been a little bit uncomfortable if he had like because uh, he re- released his response at like six in the morning on draft night and if he had released like a vicious reply to damian lillard it would have been really kind of an awkward story for all of us to deal with headed into the weekend um he the one thing i do wish is that he had mentioned the warriors sweep uh granted that's kind of a glass house uh, a glass houses situation as a member of the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. So that just blows up on his face too. Like you got swept by the Warriors. Okay, Marvin. Well, how are the Kings doing? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But here's why I think Marvin Bagley won. Number one, Marvin Bagley, he does just sound like a better rapper. Damian Lillard sounds like someone who is recording in their spare time. And it just is a little bit too stilted. Like it's cool that he does all this stuff, but he does sound like like a college kid re- recording a rap in his dorm room whereas Bagley his flow is a little bit nat- a little bit more natural his uh voice sounds better his beat was better and also all of this only started because Bagley made like an offhand comment on first take about being able to beat Damian Lillard in a rap battle and then Lillard, out of nowhere, like a week or two later, comes back with these two diss tracks to Bagley. And the entire internet is like, oh, Damian Lillard buried Marvin Bagley. And it's just like a kind of overkill on Lillard's part. And so given all that, I commend Marvin Bagley for coming back and hitting Dame with a really solid response while also kind of walking the line, not going too far and not getting emotional about it. And um, his his track was just better. So he wins okay, in my well, That's my official okay. tale of the tape. I mean, when it comes to rap battles, I think it was Jay-Z who said, don't argue with fools. You can't, from a distance, people can't tell who is who. And I think that Bagley wins because he lured Dame into this battle. I mean, nobody yeah. knows who Marvin Bagley is. So the fact that we're talking about him for five minutes on a podcast, <laughs> like he wins for just from the troll standpoint of like getting himself elevated to like Dame versus Marvin when nobody else would put them in the same conversation for basketball or anything else at this point. Yeah, so this is like that 50 is kind Cent, of, How to Rob in like 2006. Right, right. So that's a win there. Now, from Damien's perspective, um, I'll be honest, like the fact that he had these raps just like ready to go and they were like very specific to Marvin Bagley 
and they were pretty cutting, and I thought he got in a number of good disses. It scared me a little bit, Andrew. Like, it made me wonder if in his studio he has, like, a diss rap for every player in the NBA just accumulated, <laughs> almost like a serial killer with, like, a hit list, right? And it's just like if any one of these people, like if Bohan Bogdanovich even steps out of line a little bit in an interview, I'm going to go for, <laughs> going for his neck and bury him with 28 bars. I mean, that part um, worried me a little bit. Yeah. The other thing, though, I think if there was a self-own from Damian Lillard's perspective, it was this. He was saying that, like, uh, you know, Floyd doesn't box with amateurs, and that's exactly right. Like, Marvin Bagley is not in your league. Like, it wasn't like he called you a whack rapper and, like, you know, went after you on ESPN or something exactly. like that. Like you mentioned, it was kind of just a sideways comment, right? So it seemed like he was just kind of itching for a fight, and I understand that, but he's definitely punching down in a big-time way, and I think – um, it, the fact that one of those raps was all about like the self-restraint that he usually shows in fights and why he wouldn't normally do this, but he's still doing it anyways, it just rang a little hollow. That's all I'm saying. Yes, okay. So I think we agree on most of that. And by the way, I just had to look up uh, How to Rob by 50 Cent. It was actually in 1999, not 2006. We are really, really old. Um, yeah, you got but... a mouse in your pocket. I'm doing just great. I cited Philadelphia Freeway. <laughs> I broke down exactly. ether. Come on now. I'm handling it. Yeah, you're killing it. Well, we're both doing a great job passing the time on the way into free agency here uh, when I'm sure chaos will reign in the next uh, 96 hours or so. I don't know. It's getting well, pretty Andrew, close. Take over. The break's over. This podcast is over. Guys, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. I know you love that breakdown. So, you know, give us a little review about how much you like our rap analysis. It's (laughs) certain to become a recurring feature on this podcast. No question about it. We're also on the world famous radio.com slash Open Floor. Hey, Andrew, they can check me out on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, where I've got all sorts of pictures behind the scenes on my story from the Giannis crowning the coronation of the MVP. It's a fabulous evening, so be sure to check that out. Uh, Andrew, until later this week, when we will be mere days from the start of free agency, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy.